Welcome to Modern Sales, a podcast for entrepreneurs, business owners, and salespeople looking to have more and better conversations with your perfect clients. You'll get a healthy scoop of psychology, behavioral economics, and sales studies to help you create win-win relationships. I'm your host, Liston Witherell, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Modern Sales. Too many leads. If you have the problem of too many leads, what do you do? Well, one thing you might do is just hire more salespeople, more people to talk to more people, more of whom don't want to buy from you. Obviously, that's not an optimal solution. Another thing you can do is look into those leads and figure out which ones are the most qualified, which segment or group of those leads are most worth your time. And if you don't want to grow a gigantic sales team, well, that's probably the thing that you do want to do. My guest today knows a little bit about that. His name is Francis Brero of MadKudu. MadKudu is a software tool that allows sales and marketing teams to score the leads that are coming in and prioritize those that are most likely to buy based on historical performance, based on historical data, based on firmographic information that does tricky things like even qualifying people who are on your website, filling out your contact form right there on the spot before they even leave the website. What I'm interested in here is not so much that Francis has cool technology, but I'll admit it's pretty damn cool. But what I really want to know is the thought process that went into the qualification criteria that he and his team use in order to do this stuff in real time. Because what's most important is the thought process behind it, the thinking that went into the product and not actually what it does because you, dear friend, probably want to know how can you apply different little pieces of the algorithm, different little findings that Francis and his team have had over time to your sales process, to your team, to your company. Of course, if you want to get mad kudu, you could just go to the show notes and there's a link to sign up for a sales conversation and demo there. But I have to warn you, you will be qualified on the spot. So you may or may not make it through the gate. With that said, I am really excited to bring to you my conversation today with Francis from Mad Kudu. So I was reading an article that you wrote and you talk about PQLs rather than MQLs or SQLs, which you define as product qualified leads. And obviously I'm focused on sales, but I also have a copywriting and marketing background. And in copy, we would say these are essentially people who are sold on the solution and maybe they're evaluating the particular vendor they're going to choose, right? I have a problem. I know I can go out and fix it. Here's the range of options I have. And maybe they at least believe that yours is it. My question to you is, are we losing something by foregoing SQLs and MQLs? Yeah, I think it's an excellent question. And maybe I'll just iterate a tiny bit on the definition of more, not the definition, but what product qualified leads really stands for. It's a really common term in SaaS businesses where the complexity of the sales motion leads to having MQLs not be enough, right? So if you have, let's say, a free trial or a freemium type of model, you can have a lot of signups. 
that could be high quality that would typically be called MQLs if they were requesting a demo. But because you've created a new call to action that actually has a low barrier to entry, which is your sign up for a free trial without a credit card, you're just creating a lot more volume and you need another layer of qualification to determine who's actually ready to go to sales. And so that's where really the product qualified leads come into play. It's something where we're saying, by looking at the usage of the product, the lead has been qualified as someone who would be getting value from the product, understands how to get value from the product, and is therefore ready to have a sales conversation. So the way we typically look at it is more of SQL stays what it is as being a more down funnel metric of saying this lead is ready for a sales engagement. And essentially, PQL is just another form of MQL. And what happens with companies, B2B SaaS companies, at least that have these high volume trials or freemium models is that they're still going to have MQLs, what they call hand raisers. So a high quality lead is raising their hand saying, I want to talk to sales, clear past the MQL. And then you have your, I guess, people call lower grade MQLs, which are going to be your content leads that haven't really raised their hand. And then you have your PQLs, people signing up for the product. They're high quality, but at the time of sign up, we don't yet know if they're ready for sales. And then a week after they signed up, we see that they're actually engaging with the product and now we want to promote them to sales. And that's really the uh, one of the big, I think, revolutions in sales motions for SaaS is having this new concept of PQLs. And there's a, another layer that you can factor on top of it, which is what we call the MQA, the Marketing Qualified Account, which is when you're selling to enterprise accounts, you very rarely get a PQL because there's no user who's going to be using the product enough to actually hit that threshold of being pretty obviously ready to close. And you actually want to look at the overall behavior of the account. Do you have multiple leads who are signing up into the product? Do you have multiple users who are interacting with it, sharing information on the platform that tells you that the account itself is actually ready to have a conversation with a rep? And I think essentially it's just different tiers and different ways of qualifying people for sales based on different types of attributes. So MQA is a new one for me. I want to talk about that for a second. Is that something that you use at Mad Kudu, this sort of style of targeting an account based on, it's more like the cumulative action of everybody at that account is what's adding up to you saying this is elevating to a level of priority for us versus any individual. Did I get that right? Absolutely. And we actually do that in two different ways. The first one is that whenever we are scoring a given lead, because we know we're selling to B2B, right? So any lead is always within the context of an account. It's very rare that, again, in B2B, someone is just going to swipe their personal credit card for a B2B product. So ultimately, what you're trying to do is to sell into the account, especially as your ACV goes up, you have more complex sell cycle, and you know you need more people on the account. So whenever we're looking at identifying which are the leads that we want to promote to sales, we are going to give priority to leads that are engaged, but where we're seeing other leads engaging with the product. And then the other sales motion where the MQA really comes into play is when you actually have these kind of target accounts and like, I guess, like much bigger enterprise accounts where you won't necessarily see, again, one individual user stick out and a couple others. You need to aggregate all the information to go and say, well, out of all my target accounts, these are the few ones that are ready because we can identify an active buyer, we can identify an active champion. And so we have a way into the account. 
Okay. So if we could focus on your company for a second, just to make this super concrete, because abstract is useful, but for someone listening to this, I guess I'd be wondering, okay, great. So MQA, like how does Mad Kudu treat that? So you get an MQA, right? The cumulative action adds up to, hey, this is a priority for us. What happens next? How do you guys actually take action on that? Yep. There are two parts. One of them is the identification of the account being ready. That's one thing. The second one is identifying who within the account you want to go after. And so that's where we have two minor models to identify who's the most likely champion and who's the most likely buyer, which if you really want to make it as simple as possible, the MQA model could be how many active users do you have in the last 30 days? Your most likely champion is who has the most activity and your most likely buyer is who has the most seniority. You can go more complicated than that, but that's like the very basic level. And so now you're saying, I have identified a champion within this account. That's the person I want my SDR to reach out to, to try and book a meeting. We know that person's not going to be enough to close the deal, but that's the person who's the most likely to respond to an outbound email from us. Mm -hmm. And then the most likely buyer is someone where we'll actually start some nurturing campaigns to send them content and to get them warmer to Madkudu, even though they know who we are because they've shown some activity. We just want to warm up the account that way. So essentially, we have two separate treatments for these two key people on the account. So essentially, it's triggering campaigns for those. Right, right, right. So that's basically telling your SDR, whoever on your team's handling that, hey, reach out to this person who's most likely to be in an authority position to make a decision or the entry point, right? We know decisions tend to be very consensus driven these days. And then you're going to go book a meeting. Once you book a meeting, are you also looking through your system to surface insights that would affect how you behave and approach the sale during the sales process? Yes, to a lower extent, I would say. Like the complexity having to manipulate this data is really, I think, from a uh, targeting standpoint. Once you actually have the conversation, we do surface some insights into our Salesforce instance. So it shows what technology stack people use just because our product has strong integrations. So surfacing which of these integrations are present in this prospect stack is going to be really helpful to drive the conversation and tell them, well, I know you use. Marketo Salesforce segment. Therefore, this is how Mad Kudu positions itself within this stack. And this is how we actually bring value to all of it. And with our scoring, we essentially have what we call signals, which are a condensed version of all the insights the model picked up to qualify a lead. And the idea behind that is just to help the rep have context once they get on the phone. But the truth is, most of the time, like our best reps are going to look at the account and spend a little bit of time understanding what the use case is going to be. So once you've booked the meeting, I think that's when there's a little bit less value in all this like AI, because that's really where humans today perform best in being able to do that, I guess, like pattern recognition of what is going to be the best use case, who is the most similar customer we have today that I want to talk about, and therefore, what case study do I want to be able to bring on for the call? Interesting. Okay. So kind of related to this, because you're sort of in the business of surfacing insights, I was curious, what insights are most critical for those people who are already in my sales pipeline? It sounds like one thing is for you, because you're selling software, how do they integrate what you have with what they're already doing? Are there other factors or insights that you can observe externally that you think are pretty critical? I guess, I mean, at a high level, there's a couple, right? There's always going to be, do you have someone in the company who used to work at one of your customers? That's been a really successful thing for us to look at. 
I guess I'm not sure what kind of insights we're talking about, but even during the sales cycle, one of the things that we do is that we track on our website, of course, what pages people are looking at. So knowing what case studies they're looking at, what pages on the website is very helpful in identifying what potential questions they might have or which use cases they're most interested in. So that's been very helpful. We have, yeah, I think the integration part is the most important. And not only from a pure technology standpoint, we also have a custom scraping tool that we've built that aims to replicate what a rep does when just looking at the website of saying, for us, essentially knowing what your sales motion is, is incredibly important to understand what we're going to sell, right? So if you only have a contact sales CTA on your website, then I know everything is going through that channel and you probably have some fairly strict qualifications that your reps are not overwhelmed with low quality leads. But now if you have a freemium and a contact sales or a trial and a contact sales, I know that you have a much wider range of prospects and potential buyers where some might be self-serve, low value, and some are going to be more enterprisey. And you might have different companies that would fit one or the other that are actually signing up through the wrong one. And so that's where then in that case, talking about use cases with customers that have that same problem becomes very relevant. And so we actually scrape that from the website and we input it into our Salesforce. And so it's really about understanding based on all the information that's available out there, what is going to be the most relevant use case to pitch to this lead independently of what was the email they replied to. All right. So maybe a stupid question. Why can't the SDR or the account rep or whoever is making first contact just ask, what made you interested in this right now? Oh, so just to be clear, we always ask that question. So we always ask two questions. How did you hear about us beyond or did you hear about us before the email we sent you? And again, like what is going to be the most relevant today? But I think independently of that, I think, and this goes to something that you mentioned earlier on, which is the future of sales is service oriented. And I think it's the future of sales is very consultative. I think having an SDR come into a sales call and know that there is potential value in talking about one specific use case just establishes the company, the SDR, as thought leaders and someone who's done their research in not just looking at what the title is on LinkedIn. They actually went through the effort of thinking, what is an actual use case that's relevant to this company and to these people I'm talking to right now? And that just is extremely helpful because a lot of people, surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, if you've been in sales, you just know that there's a bunch of people who accept demos or request demos without necessarily knowing exactly what they're getting into, especially if you're fortunate enough to have a product that has a high cool factor. We're in that case where we have quite a few people who just like hear about us at conferences where these cool companies say they use Math Kudu and then people jump on a demo call and they tell us, we don't really know what to expect, but we heard that you were part of this and that company's tech stack. So we want to know how we can do what they're doing, which we don't know what it is. There's probably a little bit of FOMO involved there. And there's also a little bit of like, I just want to know how it works. Exactly. And that's where it's really important to have done that little bit of research to be able to guide them and to have a discovery call that's really guided around adding value rather than just asking a set of questions one after the other. Mm -hmm. So one thing you talk about a lot is segmentation and sort of the big idea there is who is coming forward to your company, which leads is critically important because you may have a segment, of course, of like 20% of leads are accounting for 80% of your business, the old Pareto principle. 
But one segment that you were just referencing, and I know is a problem, especially for companies who are very successful on creating top of funnel leads. So they create lots of content. I don't know if you read the book Dan Lyon wrote about HubSpot, but he shares this anecdote about how they were bragging that they got 10,000 leads every day. And his quip was sort of like, holy shit, who would want that? And like, how good could they be? So a significant percentage of those leads, one of the segments is what you're calling tire kickers, right? People who just maybe think it's cool or they're just there because someone mentioned it and they're trying to do a little bit of homework on it. How do I identify those tire kickers as a segment and then spend less time on them? There are two parts to the answer, uh, or at least there's two ways that we answer the question. So as I was mentioning before, like when you look at PQL and MQLs, there's really two elements to them. The MQL is saying who's a high quality lead who's hand raising. And the PQL is who's a lead that's showing high quality engagement with my product. And I think the tire kickers are kind of the flip side, right? So you're saying if you have a low quality lead that's requesting a demo or signing up for your product, there's a high chance they're a tire kicker. And so when I say high quality lead, that's what we call our firmographic model. So we build a definition based on statistical learning of what is the ideal customer profile. So we look at historically what leads have converted, what leads have not converted. And from that, we can derive what are going to be attributes that indicate someone has a high fit for your product and is likely to generate a relevant conversation with sales, or even actually is going to be likely to benefit from your product. And that's number one, right? So if, if someone is requesting a demo or signing up for your product and you know they're not a fit for the product, then most likely, regardless of are they really a tire kicker, it's just they're not relevant and they're not worthy of your rep's time. And then when you're looking at more high volume, either content downloads or more importantly, when you're looking at trials and freemium where you just get a ton of these, it's really looking at their engagement and saying for any new sign up that is not an obvious great fit for the product, let's give them five days or three days and see if they actually engage with the product because the daily retention numbers of these companies are generally terrible, right? So you'll lose something like 50 or 30% of your cohort after day one. So essentially, yeah, there's very few people who come back on, on the subsequent days. And just doing that essentially isolates your tire kickers. And then you can get more granular and more refined in saying, what can we define as activation of our product? So if you have a CRM, it's going to be, have you loaded in contacts? Have you customized your pipeline? And if you haven't done that, then most likely you're not getting value from the product and you're a tire kicker. Unless you're an actual great fit for the product, and it might just be that you're stuck. So that's why the combination, I think, of the, the behavioral elements and the relevance of that behavior in conjunction with the quality of the lead and how closely they match historical people who've had success are the two big factors I would use. So in this example of tire kickers, right, this is going to be really relevant to companies that have a cool factor or that have a thriving content machine and have a lot of attraction capability. For a lot of other organizations, they're looking more at lower volume lead generation because the product is very complex or it's for fortune 1000. So sort of low, low volume, slow sales cycle, very complicated. How do I introduce lead scoring in a way that's helpful if I'm in an environment where I'm basically doing enterprise sales that are slow and low volume? 
Yeah, that is an excellent question. And I think that the first point I will make is that the behavioral data has close to negative correlation in enterprise. And this is actually something that Thomas Tongos, who's a VC at Redpoint, talked about because he did the analysis back at Google in his days where they were seeing that for in their enterprise sales processes, people that were showing a lot of behavior before the first meeting were actually the ones that converted the worst. So I think trying to do behavioral lead scoring in a high touch enterprise, like field rep style sales is actually not the best thing to do. The fit element is still going to be critical in understanding, is this company likely to have a need for the product I have to sell? And if they don't, then it's probably not relevant. But then in terms of understanding, are you talking to a company that has the right fit? I think that's why IBM introduced the band concept, right? Band, I think, is the is like the first and foremost form of qualification of saying, do you even have what it takes to move you on to the next stage? So I think I've seen companies, and we're starting to put that more in place, at least at Madhu, to have a very clear process of almost checkboxes to say, to be able to move to an SQO or to stage three, we need to fill in these boxes of, do we have a clearly approved project that has executive support? Who's the executive sponsor? Is he identified? Has he vetted the fact that we have a project? Because otherwise you end up talking to a lot of people who are super excited, but in the end, don't have budget, don't have authority and have no connection to authority to be able to close this. So I think that's an important one. And maybe the final element I will say is that one of the analogies I typically use is in selling to B2B is like the Lord of the Rings. And I don't know if you've seen, there's this amazing <laughs> illustration. By, Where's this going? Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. This amazing illustration. Yeah. So there's this website called XKCD. Oh, sure. Yes. I love it. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's for nerds like us. Yes, exactly. For nerds. So he has this amazing graph of uh, storylines of different movies. Okay. And so he has, I think it's like 12 Angry Men, which is basically just 12 straight lines. And then he has some movie about like time travel where they put time travel machines inside of other time travel machines. And it's a super complicated uh, set of spaghetti. And then there's the Lord of the Rings, where essentially it's a fairly linear timeline from start to end. But you see there's a, a lot of different characters in that storyline. And the interesting thing is that even though it tells one unique story of the fellowship and the destruction of the one ring, so there's really just one objective for everyone. There's a lot of different characters that split up at different points in time that play different critical roles in the story where if Boromir doesn't sacrifice himself, then they can't go further and the story probably would have ended there, even though he might have been kind of slowing down the whole process at the start. So I think B2B is the same where you can't just try to find the one person who's going to do everything from start to end on their own. There's a lot of different characters that are going to come into play and they might seem like they're there to slow down the process. That's typically what we think of procurement, but they're actually enablers in a way where if you get past them, then you're really set up for success because had Boromir not sacrificed himself, then when they go to Gondor, probably would have been a different story, right? So there's that inherent complexity in B2B sales, which means that from a lead scoring standpoint, you also have to be able to understand who are the different personas and characters that you need to have within an account that are aware of the project you're trying to push through. And if you don't have those, you're most likely not set up for success. So that's almost kind of a, a new way of scoring of saying like, do I have, is my account complete in terms of the list of contacts do I have? And do they fulfill all the 
jobs I need, right? So it's almost like, do you have your dwarf? Do you have your wizard? Do you have your elves? Because they're all going to play different roles that are critical at certain points in the story. Yeah. And, you know, I was having a conversation with Derek Ron, who's the VP of sales over at Lead Genius last week. And one of the things I mentioned to him, which it sounds like you're not saying directly, but you're saying something similar, is it's really clear to me, like at Lead Genius, I know they do not exactly what you guys do, but they have a data set and sort of use leverage data for prospecting. It's really easy to focus on the prospecting part, the firmographics part, what do my SDRs do in order to set meetings and like what sales place do we run, quote unquote, in the beginning. Once you get into that enterprise sale, it's really difficult to track what's going on, to document it, and to surface any insights that would be applicable to other enterprise accounts. Like It becomes more and more of a challenge, I think, the bigger the sale gets because of the level of complexity and nuance involved in it. Yeah, definitely. I want to talk to you about the future of selling a little bit because I noticed I don't have mad kudu, but I did some spying on LinkedIn and my assistant did some spying on LinkedIn. And what we found is that you don't actually have anybody on staff right now who has sales in their title. Although I'm sure you do quite a bit of selling yourself, but still the point stands. You don't have anyone specifically in sales right now. You are hiring an account executive according to your job postings. But I thought that that was interesting. I'm assuming at your size now, the founders really, and probably the founders, like the guy I'm talking to right now, is mostly responsible for selling. But you do have quite a few CSMs, customer support managers or success managers. Are they responsible for selling? And how do you see the future of selling evolving? You referenced consultative selling a second ago. So I'm wondering, is that your strategy within your own company? It's a good point. So We're fortunate enough to have our first AE start on Monday next week, which is great because, yes, until now, I've been the one doing all of the selling. The approach that we took at MadCrew was to focus on initially few customers that were flagship customers, but not the massive brands that everyone knows about, right? So we didn't initially go for an IBM. We went for Segment, who just recently became a unicorn when they raised 175 million, I think last week. And we actually started working with them when they were about to raise their Series B or they were like six months away from that. But they were this up and coming startup. And so because they were a customer and we spent a lot of time on the client success side with them, they saw a lot of value. And so they grew their adoption of Kudu and they started spreading the word. And as that happened, in essence, To some extent, our CSMs were doing the SDR work because our customers were then talking to their customers or to their partners or things like that about how they were using Matkudu, the value they were getting from it. And that actually is what did our lead gen for the first three years. It was very, very organic, word of mouth. And while the CSMs so far, and this might change in the future, but up till now, our CSMs have not been responsible for closing the upsells, they've been in charge of identifying them. So we actually want to keep the two separate, where the CSM is in charge of pitching the value of a potential upsell, what could be done with it, what the project plan would look like. And then when it comes to pricing, they actually consult with sales, which today is me, to get a sense of what pricing would look like. And then I actually step in for a separate set of meetings to really go over uh, pricing negotiation and all of that. So I think the way 
we've tried to keep it so far is that CS is in charge of value and sales is in charge of cost, at least on the upsells of just like, this is how much it's going to cost you. And the CSM team is just pushing on, on value, which I think is good in two ways. The first one is that it keeps our CS team on the forefront of innovation and what people are looking for. And it brings sales in when there's really only a clearly identified opportunity, which means that sales is not like spinning cycles, trying to generate opportunities that don't really exist with customers. It keeps the sales team aware of what people are looking for. And I think it it keeps a slightly clear cut definition of like our CSMs really focus on value for the customer and not necessarily value for us because you don't want CS to be focusing on, oh, this is potentially a higher upsell from a dollar standpoint for Mad Kudu. Therefore, I should push this, even though this other upsell actually has more value for the customer. And do you find that your CS team ever has hesitation in looking to surface some of those opportunity for clients? Because customer success can be very relational. And anytime the idea of sales or even the word opportunities is introduced, it can feel quite transactional for some folks. And I was wondering if you're seeing that as a challenge. We're not really seeing it. And partly because of the process, right? Where essentially in the QBRs, they'll talk about ideas of use cases that would make sense, like what success we've seen with other customers. So it's really always about value. And as soon as there's, again, like a clear, I guess, like hook, or we feel that the customer of when they're, I would almost say done with the initial almost SDR work of saying, all right, we know these guys have budget because I mean, we know how much they're paying and we know there's potential. And so now let's actually introduce them to back to the rep who closed them just because like I've closed all of our business, but in the future, it will be assigned back to the rep who closed the account in the first place uh, to go and do that upsell. All right. So on a lighter note, my friend, why is T-Rex your extinct spirit animal? What is up with that? It's actually a, it's a silly joke. It was just that at one point we were making fun of someone who used to say he was hands-on when he was absolutely not. So we said he's like a T-Rex hands-on. Ah, uh, understood. I get it. <laughs> and then it just took. And so now I'm saying I'm an aspiring T-Rex hands-on because I am actually still very hands-on in a lot of different elements of the business. And my goal for 2019 as a founder is to make myself dispensable in the sense that I want to make sure that I'm not critical to anything tactical and so that I can focus more on growing the team rather than specifically either updating data models or yeah, helping people here and there. So I want to become the T-Rex hands-on. <laughs> what is one sales resource that you recommend, whether it's a book or a study or an article or a methodology? Oh, that's an excellent question. You can recommend more than one if it makes it easier. I think, I mean, it it depends, I guess, if you're, I guess, on the SDR function and SDR processes, I would highly recommend like the blueprint of sales by uh, winning by design, which is a really detailed book around how to set up your pods, how to set up your office based on what is your ACV, what is your sales motion and all of that. It's a fairly detailed book that I find very interesting. And then in terms, I guess if you're, yeah, if you're listening and you're a startup, I would say, listen to some of the, like the podcasts, like Steli and Heath and Shaw's podcast, which, yeah, I think is, it has some good insights. Surprisingly, I highly recommend meeting people and going to, to events to talk with other folks because you actually learn a lot from that. 
And so it's almost like the idea of listening to podcasts to see who seems inspiring enough that you would want to meet up with them and then trying to figure out what events to go to, to actually meet with them in person. And that's why I think there's a lot of value today in podcasts to just one, broaden your perspectives and hear about other people. And more importantly, then figure out who you actually want to meet. I've been slightly disappointed by most of the books I've read around sales, where I think it's a lot of generalities and there's just so much value in having people that you can ping when you have a specific question and know you can trust their judgment and I guess the integrity of their thought process. Well, right. And that's where the most relevant learning is always going to happen, right? Is when it can be more applied to you and someone can react to what your specific thing is. Well, thank you for the unpaid plug on uh, podcasts in general. I agree. They're fantastic. You've been great in sharing all the sort of behind the scenes about your company. I appreciate that. If anybody wanted to learn more about you or your product, what should they do? I guess check out madkudu.com. If you actually come to request a demo at madkudu.com slash contact, if you are qualified, you will get access to my calendar on the fly. And sorry if you don't get access to it. (laughs) It's a rough world out there. We still love you. (laughs) And then I think our blog has some interesting analyses. We did a lot of analyses around how to optimize your company's velocity. Are you better off chasing whales or should you close deers or rabbits? Basically based on how quickly and what difference of, of size of deal, what works best. So there's a lot of very analytical blog articles that we have and we try to focus everything on on bringing yeah bringing data first so i think that would be a good place to learn great and i'll i've linked to all of those places in the show notes so if you're listening to this and you want to get in touch with mad kudu and roll the dice and see if you are qualified for a conversation with francis it's linked in the show notes as well as the blog article that he mentioned francis thank you so much for being here i really appreciate it Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me.